Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Villa News Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, and today we have not one, but two national champions on the show. Claire Hansiger and Eric Brunner won the U.S. Cyclocross National Championships back in Chicago uh, in December, and now they're both headed to the World Championships in Fayetteville at the end of the month. Each took a different tact in terms of their preparation for Worlds. Clara has been racing in Europe pretty extensively and doing quite well. She's raced super prestige events. She won the Koppenberg Cross, held on the famous Koppenberg climb of Tour of Flanders fame. And she's been racing World Cups, uh, doing as well as third in the Fayetteville World Cup. Eric, on the other hand, came back here to Boulder, Colorado for a six-week break from racing leading into Worlds. He did some European road racing with the Avelo team uh, and then did some domestic cyclocross and ended that stint with uh, four wins in a row, culminating in his national title, but opted to take a break and uh, is hoping that will set him in flying form heading into Fayetteville. So we will talk to each of those riders about their seasons and their expectations for Worlds Ahead. And let's start with Eric. Eric Brunner, welcome to the Vela News Podcast. How are you today, sir? Nice to see you. Good, thanks. How are you? I'm oh, doing just fine. I'm excited for some cyclocross. Uh, we've got you know, Fayetteville's coming up here at the end of January. Uh, and I want to talk to you about a few things, uh, you know, certainly about how you're feeling headed into cyclocross, but also you know, flip it around a little bit and, and talk about what got you here uh, as far as like what your preparation is. And then balancing, another thing I want to talk about is you know, balancing a road road season with Evolo with with your cyclocross racing and plans and then wrap it up looking forward at uh, you know what your expectations are for worlds so yeah let's just talk about first like balancing road versus cyclocross i know in like many many past seasons you did a pretty full world cup uh campaign maybe not doing all the european world cups but um doing a fair amount of world cups going back to what like the you know 15 16 season doing uh you know united team racing uh this year you did the world cups in the u.s but declined to uh go to europe so i'm just curious like what your what your thinking is on like what what's the ideal preparation for worlds and why did you why did you tweak it this season yeah that's right and honestly that wasn't my plan going into this season um the reason that i chose to skip out on the european racing this year um was just that i was really tired coming into the cross season um mentally um physically a little bit as well um i had a pretty big road season with a volo um i wouldn't say bigger than than what i've done in 2019 you know it's a little bit of a shock coming off of a year with no racing in the summer and then doing all that travel spending you know a little over half of the summer on the road i think but this year uh pretty early on in the cross season it was apparent that um, I, I just needed some time to recover. And so fortunately, I was able to rest a little bit in the, in the middle of the season, take a little break, and then again after nationals before uh, ramping back up for the world championships. Now, it seems, you know, like I said, you won, won nationals and you were on a hot streak coming into nationals. That was what, like win number four in a row for you? You know, a couple of U.S. races, winning Pan Am champs, then winning national champs. How do you know, this may sound like a silly question, but you know, like, how do you know when you're, when you're getting burnt out? Is it, are you looking at numbers? 
Is it just a feeling of fatigue in the moment on the bike or is it like multi-day feeling of fatigue and who gets to make that, that call, you know, because you, you know, you, like I said, you race for Evola on the road and you're racing with blue for cross. So how do you know when you're getting crispy and, uh, uh, who else needs to, needs to buy into this decision? It's mainly coming from feel. Um, you know, I, I think looking at power numbers can be, it, it is a little bit of a tell. Um, you, you know, sometimes if I see, uh, my sprint power isn't very good. I think that's the number one, you know, the top end, that's the main indicator of fatigue, uh, looking at the numbers, but it was, it was honestly more of just mental fatigue this year. And, you know, you're right. I did, I did have a great run at the end of the season, but that is in large part because I was able to take some time off after the races in Cincinnati, which were in, in late October. Um, I took about a week off. And then had, you know, just a couple of weeks of training at home, very, very low key. And it was more of the travel that, that was hard on me, um, going to a different race every weekend. The, you know, just, just doing races, that's not, it's stressful, but it's not, it's not the biggest thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to turn that around. Um, it's, it's mainly my own judgment, my own decision. Um, I'm talking to my coach, Grant Holicky, a lot about it. And, you know, sometimes he'll urge me to be like, okay, you just, you just need to get through this weekend. Like, you know, let's, let's not skip this race or, you know, this race is more priority than this one, or, you know, there's a bigger opportunity to score points at this race because it's a higher designation. You know, it's, it's a world cup or it's a C1 versus a C2, something like that. And of course, uh, nationals and Pan American championships were the, the big priority at the end of the domestic season. Sure. Sure. And can't do much better than winning both of them. Now with is grant coaching you year round or is you lean on grant just for the cyclocross season? Yes. Uh, he is my coach year round for road and cyclocross. That's great to have that continuity between the two. And, you know, your, your Evolo teammate Gage Hecht is, uh, you know, he was third there behind you this year at nationals talk about what it's like to race with him on the road as teammates, uh, and then line up with him to race cyclocross. Where does, where does, where does the friendship and teammate camaraderie end and the, the fierce competitor begin on, on the cross course? Yeah, it's fun, uh, being around gauge pretty much all year. I probably, probably roomed with him more than most anybody else, both, both for road and cyclocross, you know, doing national team trips. Yeah, I, w- I would say, you know, we're competitive, but, uh, you know, he's a really easy guy to, to get along with. I enjoy hanging out with him. Um, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of the guys in the cross circuit and def- definitely friendly with, with most everybody. So it's, it's, it's fun to be out there and, you know, racing, racing with people that I know well and enjoy hanging around, uh, af- after the race is over. Sure. And just like the, the feeling of not relaxation, but feeling at home is, is worth something. That's something that we've often heard. You know, talking about American riders going to Europe and that, yeah, there's the racing component and the power, the physiological component, but then there's the jet lag and the trying to figure out how to order food and like all these other like life stresses that can add up. And, and it's interesting this year to see the Europeans now talking about those type things and their decision to come race the worlds or not. And, you know, Wout has been taking a bit of a beating, like, why, why are you skipping worlds? And he often is like, look, this, these, all these factors play into how you perform as a bike racer. And he's opted to just focus on road racing and skip the, 
the jet lag and the travel, et cetera. Yeah, it is interesting to see uh, those European riders come over and and just just the same as the Americans. I think some some do better than others, um, and it definitely shows that the the playing field kind of tips the other way um, when we don't have to deal with that major travel and they do. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how how the the field is at Worlds. I think it's going to be a little bit smaller than normal. Of course, no Wow, no Matthew, but then again, most most of the top guys are still going to be there. Yeah, well, Eli Azerbit's flying. Tom Pidcock knows how to ride his bike. It will be an exciting race to watch, no doubt. Tell us a bit about the Avolo road season. Some uh, listeners know Mike Creed, who is running the team from his days racing, um, but other people might not be as familiar. So walk us through what it's been like to be on that road program the last few years and how that's helped or hindered or like what's your what's your take on on Avolo? Well, with, with respect to cross, I think that, that racing for Avolo has been a, a huge benefit to me. Um, and I think that it's a big reason of what, of why Gage, myself, and actually Scott McGill as well have been successful in cross is that, you know, we're racing a, a big road schedule, um, and, and with a good team, um, with, with staff who really know what they're doing. So I, I've ridden for Avolo for the past two and a half seasons. I joined in middle of 2019. Um, and so really, really only one real season with them, but, you know, I, I think that those have been some of the most formative years of my cycling career being around Mike Creed, um, John O'Coulter, the, the assistant director, um, and then just, you know, a bunch of other, uh, talented, motivated young guys. It's been fun this year. We, we did a race in Greece. We went to Rhodes, uh, in in april that was the first race this season that that was quite the experience um raced a one day in a a stage race we did a big domestic swing in the in the early summer we did the armed forces classic uh road nationals and then a smaller stage race or two and then we we went over to europe at the end of the summer uh, right before the cross season we did let me think a couple of a couple of one days and uh, a stage race. And then we did also a handful of kermesses. And I think that that trip really, really helped my fitness going into the cross season. Um, doing some kermesses at the end of the summer um, is something that I'm, I'm really going to consider again in the future, um, kind of regardless of what my other plans for road are. Just getting that that super high intensity, shorter duration. So it's not a, obviously not a long stage race. It's different different type of fitness. And, you know, I think that racing crits and stuff like that can be helpful too, but a kermesse is just, it's like a longer, harder crit, right? It, it's, it, mm-hmm. the, the effort is actually very, very similar to a cross race, but you know, the race is three plus hours long. So that, that was a great experience. Um, but so I've aged out of a Volo now and, um, this season was my last with them and I've chosen to not continue, uh, racing road at the, at the continental level this summer, um, just to focus on focus on cross a little bit more. Um, I'm going to get into, into some mountain biking race, some UCI mountain bike, national championships, cool. gravel, and, and still some road, but just on my own. Sure. Sure. I so say you've aged out. You're now 23 and Avola was, uh, focused on U23 riders and yep. just one more success story on the, in the pantheon of Avola. Kermesses, you say work well to build the fitness and so race, racing can be a great, great form of training. 
Now you're home in Boulder for a few weeks ahead of the world championships. How do you sharpen the knives without racing ahead of world championships? Like what, what does Grant have you doing? Just give us, give us some specifics. That's a good question. And that's, that's probably one of the things I've gotten asked most this winter is, you know, how are you going to be good at worlds if you don't, if you don't race for six weeks beforehand? Yes. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would be pretty concerned if they were in that situation themselves. Um, you know, I think that racing is good preparation for racing, but at the same time, I feel pretty, pretty uh, adept at preparing without it. So what we've done is took a week off after nationals and then just, just pretty normal cross training. Honestly, I haven't done a huge amount of volume and, and in part that's just due to the weather, you know, if it's, you know, below freezing out, it's, it's really hard to do more than like a three hour ride, um, comfortably. I've done kind of my usual off-road cyclocross workouts. So kind of a, a, a less structured, but, um, you know, kind of a short version of a cross race almost. So I'll do like, you know, sets of, of one minute efforts on a, on a small loop or may, maybe up to four or five minutes. And then I've done a good amount of motor pacing just at kind of a tempo pace and focus on hitting the hills really hard between those two things. Those are kind of the harder workouts that I do. And then just some, some normal intervals on the road, a lot of variations of like 30 thirties and, and short bits of threshold either before or after those. And, um, occasionally a little bit of low cadence and, out of the saddle efforts as well, kind of in, in quick succession again, just to simulate the, uh, you know, riding through heavy mud or having to accelerate up a climb. So we're, we're really working backwards from, that's something that I really like about Grant's philosophy is that we're looking at the demands of the racing and working backwards from there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on top of that, I've been running twice a week, uh, lifting weights once a week. And that's, that's very standard for me. One of those, one of those runs is easy. One of those I'm, is longer. I'm doing hill sprints and then, uh, you know, just deadlifts, squats are the other main bit. And then kind of just, you know, work the whole body as well. Yeah. It just sounds like breaking down the specificity and addressing it piece by piece. Yep. That all, that all makes good sense. What about the, the handling, you know, how do you, how do you practice sprinting for the whole shot? when you're doing intervals on the road or riding by yourself for, for most of the time, how do you keep that particular knife sharp? Um, actually I, well, I do do most of my training alone, but, um, the, the cyclocross workouts, I'm almost always doing those with some other people. Okay. And so at the very least grant is there, but, uh, we have a good group of other riders who we, who we train with here in Boulder. And so we'll do, uh, start practice like you know every single week and so that that's a skill that i that i stay on top of practicing very often um and then you know for the the technical skills um i'm doing at least at least once a week like a a dedicated cyclocross uh workout on, on you know in a park you know i also have a couple of friends who let who let us ride on their on their properties as well um so we can you know tear it up when it's muddy and, and stuff so that, that works really well to keep the handling good. And then, you know, of course I'm also just riding, riding on dirt roads and trails and stuff. And so that's, that's kind of always working the cornering, that sort of thing. Sure. Sure. 
Yeah, once upon a time, pre-COVID, Wednesday Worlds was a big thing here in Boulder, at least for the amateur chuckleheads like myself. That was always a great way to get in, not just the intensity, but just the the group dynamics. There's a, a park called Valmont Bicycle Park here that has... I'm not telling you, Eric, but just for, <laughs> for listeners who haven't been here, it's got a great resource with everything from like mini dual slalom courses to uh, you know, little teeter totters to to learn some skills to uh, a lot of cyclocross things, including multiple stair sets, and that's just a great a great venue for for practice. And you know, when you say you're, there's people who's who let you use their properties. This uh, the Australian Michael Robson is mowed a, a course into his yard or who's yep who else yep. is letting you um, okay we, we were out at robson's quite quite a lot um earlier in the fall i haven't been there um in a little while but yep he's one of them and then hunter smith is another guy who lives uh very close to me and is you know kind enough to let us ride on on his property um and so yeah it's, it's very similar to the wednesday world's dynamic yeah that's good stuff so now now talk to us about fayetteville what your expectations are there you raced the uh, World Cup number three this year was not only in Fayetteville, which is hosting it, but on the course that was purpose built for the World Championships, among other things. So, what's what's your take on that course, and how are you expecting to fare there? Uh, my first thought when I saw that course this this fall was that it lo- it looks like a real championship course, and what I mean by that is it's really wide. You know, a lot of times courses are kind of built into to fit their surroundings, but this course has been, you know, designed with, with a championship race in mind. So they've made it really wide. Uh, they've done a, a ton of earth moving and built in some features like the, like the staircase, a couple of, uh, permanent flyovers. Um, so rather than having a, you know, scaffolding, you're actually riding through a, a masonry arch. And then there's a little, uh, kind of a slalom section with permanent railings right at the end of the course. I think the course just, it looks really nice from a, from a spectator spectator's perspective. It looks, I've heard people say it looks a little boring um, from the race footage and I can see why they would say that. But uh, I honestly think that it's, it's, it's great to hold the world championships on. I enjoyed it. Um, It's a fun descent um, shortly after the start. And then the, the climb back up from the bottom of that, of that downhill in the woods is, is probably one of the hardest that I've done on a cross bike. You know, it, it's not nearly like the, the steepness of a Mount Crumpet at Jingle Cross, but it, it's longer and you're, you know, you're just grinding in the saddle. Um, you know, at least in the mud, it was the easiest gear. Just, you know, some guys were even running it and then plenty of, plenty of difficult corners to kind of challenge the handling. And yeah, so it, it reminds me of a European course. Um, a lot of other World Cup courses. Uh, look, looking forward to to having another go at it, and uh, you know I'm glad that I got to race it once already this year. Yeah, that's got to be an advantage. Now, for those of us watching uh, in North America, you can watch on the GCN app, and there's supposed to be like two dozen cameras set up all around the course. I think it'll be a great spectating experience, whether you're there in person or you're watching on the internet. Those of us spectating, I think, are hoping for rain. What as a racer, what's what's your preference? You want to you want to drive fast, dirt crit, or are you hoping for a mud bog? I always like to dry a little bit better. Um, I just tend to do better on the on the really fast courses. And when it so we raced it in the mud 
earlier this year, but the day before that it was completely dry. And that, and when it was dry, it was one of the fastest courses I think I've ever been on. And, uh, you know, even though it's pushing up against the, the upper limit of the UCI length, the, it was, the lap times would have been very, very short. So it's, it's an interesting puzzle for the organizers. I think they're going to have to slow the course down a little bit, um, either with some tight corners or um, the info that I heard was that they're going to add a, a little bit of an up down after the run up and then maybe slow down. If you're familiar with the course, you came off the run up and went over this almost like a jump. It was just a roller at the bottom of the hill, but a lot of people were trying to catch some air off of that. Um, unfortunately, they may, they may take that descent and cut it into a couple pieces. Bummer. <laughs> at least for, for the fans, yeah. Well, I was just looking at the weather, and you know, as of now, they were calling for like highs in the 50s mm-hmm. on the men's elites race day and, and dry. So yeah, it could well be a, could be a fast one. Yep, and I think it's kind of a unique, a unique opportunity if it, if it is in fact dry at, at race time. Um, you know, I think the trend in past years has just has just been to make harder, you know, gnarlier courses, and the the consequence of that is that they become slower and slower. You know, the average speed is pushed down, and I think there is a there's a place for these faster courses that are, you know, I, th- I think dirt crit is a, is an unfair name because um, it really is a lot more <laughs> than that. Um, but I think that would be really cool to see a you know world championship where it is kind of a a group race and the, and the fans get to watch uh you know s- several guys in contention right in, right until the very last moments so you know the the dry fast conditions lend themselves to that yeah absolutely and one thing i appreciate about cyclocross is like the ever-changing dynamic sometimes lap to lap but always course to course um and some people who fare very well at one type of racing maybe struggle a bit with the other and yeah like i said having Having aerodynamics play a factor is is, is slightly different than uh, a muddy Fayetteville when it's uh, almost like a time trial with the writing. Yeah, no, no doubt. And uh, you know, I think I think it just makes makes for a more exciting race in in some situations, um, especially in, in, on a course like Fayetteville's where you know there aren't there aren't the the same really technical features as some of the European courses. Um, it's not to say it's a bad or a boring course, but you know, potentially it could be at its best if it's in the dry. Yeah. Well, we will be looking forward to you performing at your best with the rest of the world's best there in Fayetteville at the end of the month. So Eric Barner, thanks very much for your time and best of luck to you. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Claire Hansiger, welcome to the Velo News Podcast. How are you and where in the world are you right now? Yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm here at my home in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, it's it's kind of a Belgium day out there. It's foggy, cloudy, and a bit wet. Yeah, and you, you definitely race well in most conditions, but you seem to race particularly well in the wet conditions. We want to talk about that a little bit later in the show. And what I'd like to pick your brain on today is expectations, both forward-looking and, and backwards-looking. And uh, starting looking backwards, you know, first off, I want to congratulate you again a little bit late on uh, winning the national championships once again. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to hear your thoughts on how winning it the second time felt compared to the first time. You know, I, I read some of your you know, post-race 
interviews and talking to my colleague and other folks about how it was a sense of a relief in some ways, which is not how you described it the, the first time around. So just, you know, if you would just compare the, the two wins uh, just in terms of how, how you felt going into it, you know, what your the expectations were you had on yourself and then how it, how it felt to win the first time versus the second time. Yeah, the first time going into it, there's definitely this, there wasn't quite the pressure to win. It was, I had never worn the national championship jersey. And so it was kind of like an opportunity to seize that title, to really take it on. And it was amazing that that win was amazing in part because it was my first time winning it and then doing it in front of my home crowd, essentially, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and then I went for a year, and we missed. We didn't have national championships in uh, twenty twenty, and so it was kind of this, like I, I settled into that jersey, and it kind of became like the, the kit that I wore. <laughs> I, I mean, I still definitely felt pride and like I, I earned it, but I had kind of that year away from racing. I'd kind of forgotten, like, no, I need to defend this, and so going into Chicago this year in twenty twenty one there was a lot of pressure, like, wait, I'm, I've got to fight for this. It's not just given. And so I went into that race just full gas. Uh, I felt, yeah, definitely pressure the, the get it again. Now, was that pressure all internal pressure? Or do you feel there was some external pressure? Or what, where is that coming from? Uh, I mean, it's definitely internal. I mean, that's the greatest, <laughs> the pressure that we put upon ourselves is probably the, the most influential. But then... I think also really being the only North American racing or not the only North American, the only U S rider racing in Europe earlier this year. And Mm -hmm. in the past, it's the national championship Jersey has always been raced in Europe. Um, And so it became part of my identity, how people would recognize me at a race would be the stars and stripes Jersey. And so, yeah, when I headed back, when I finished that first racing block and went back to the United States, there was a lot of messages and words from fans saying, Hey, I, I hope you return with the stars and stripes. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. And return he did. And you've had a, a busy cross calendar starting back what mid September uh, yeah. block of, you know, Rochester, uh, charm city. You're always on the podium there, both, both days, both races. And then you've been doing super prestige races, world cups. And, you know, often, you know, top 10 or thereabouts. And then of course, third at Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. That was an exciting one to watch um, yeah. for, for many reasons. Um, you know, coming over the top of Marianne Voss there and the, that was just what in the last lap, right? Coming up the last, last hill. Yeah. That was a, a wild day. Yeah. So tell us about that. What was, what was the Fayetteville course like to race? So we got into Fayetteville a day or two before the race and we went and looked at the course and it was sunny and 75 degrees and it was this kind of interesting course in that it was so like manicured and wide uh mm-hmm. and very flowy and if it, when we were pre-riding it the laps were going to be like six minutes it was so fast it almost felt like a road race and up until like an hour before the elites went off it, it was dry and fast nobody had ridden it in the rain and then it started the poor rain and we were on the start line and all just wondering like okay what's gonna be after the first corner what's Uh gonna be (laughs) 
happen once we get off the asphalt? Is it going to still be like really tacky and dry? And it ended up being really muddy and slippery and this descent that was going to be kind of roaring at, I don't know, 40K an hour became uh, like foot out, uh, tripoding, just making it down rut by rut. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a pretty massive change. Yeah. And that's a different type of expectations to manner, to manage, excuse me, whether you've got, you know, certain tires and tire pressure for screaming fast, dry course. And all of a sudden it's a, a whole change of things. How do you, how do you change your, I mean, I guess you just adapt in the moment. Yeah. How, how do you like communicate with your mechanics as you're going through, like you want different tires? How is that communicate? Is that just yelling or do you guys have like baseball code signals that you can, <laughs> if I touch my nose, I want the, you know, the two foes at two bar. Yeah. You know. So we definitely operate as a team. We've been working together for a few years now and we really know, like they know the conditions, like what I'll tend the, what, what tire is going to be best for conditions just as well as I do, what pressure I tend to ride in those conditions. Mm -hmm. They really spend a lot of time. They're not just there. Like you said, put a limus on it and run it at 15 PSI. They're like, well, let's like take a moment to talk before the race. Like, this is what we're observing. Like we went out and actually looked at the descent while you're warming up and it looks pretty muddy now. Mm -hmm. So they're mm -hmm. there kind of acting as they, they take in a lot and have a lot of say in what decision I make. Um, so before the race, we try to set it up as well as possible to be prepared for that whatever is going to happen. And sometimes that's changing a tire before we start the race or having uh, different tires in the pit. And so making those changes in the race is usually just a few words. Like we've prepared, if I come by and I say Limus and I'm riding Griefos, that means the next half lap I'd, I'd like a, a set of Limus on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's really simple. <laughs> It's just a few words. There's no real hand signals or code language, but it's really effective out right, there. Right, because the homework has already been done, and that has to be reassuring to know that you've got a team who's yet done the homework, so it's not just you making a guess and hoping yeah. for the best. It's a They're definitely team. experts out there. Koppenberg Cross. That yeah. was another <laughs> great win. Congrats on that. And that, you know, talk about how that course differs uh, compared to, like, what you described as the manicured course at Fayetteville, you know, Fayetteville was, is, you know, made expressly for the purpose of bike racing. Um, a lot of Belgian courses, God bless them are wild and woolly and are, uh, serve other purposes, 364 days a year, you know, often grazing cattle and sheep and whatever. And there's barbed wire and all manner of things, cobblestone roads from, way back in the day that just on that one special day or some special days become a bike race course. So it seemed like the, the climbing and the mud was uh, well suited to you and you uh, did exceptionally. What were your expectations coming into that day with that course? Yeah, I, I had done over ISA the world cup the day before and had a pretty good fifth place result. And I was, yeah, I knew I had the form on that day and it was just going to be about, uh, having a good start and really keeping it contained for, for all that don't know, Koppenberg Cross is the, it's a cow pasture <laughs> <laughs> and they put stakes and flags in it and a VIP tent in it, uh, that one special day a year. 
Yeah, and absurdly steep. You know, a lot of race fans know the Koppenberg from the Tour of Flanders, which is an absurd. I'm gesturing here, like you can see this on a podcast. An absurdly steep climb that even in the dry conditions can be challenging to get up full blast. But when it's wet and greasy, uh, it it can be almost comical for non-professional riders trying to get up that thing. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely and going into it the another thing that's unique about belgian races is they run amateur junior races before the elites so there's not really specific like pre-ride windows as we have in the united states and so you usually jump in right after a race is finished and sometimes you're like they're just following there's like the last rider to go around but i wasn't actually able to ride the koppenberg because there are still riders going up it in my that little window I had the jump on course. So I had the, I shouldered my bike and like had to weave my way through the fans to the top of it. And then it was just, I, I did one half a lap and I'm like, wow, this is just <laughs> a course that it's going to be about just composure, uh, not letting it take, take control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it's such a hard course, uh, going down the hill, it's ready. It's a uh, slippery, it's rutted and, slippery and just heavy boggy mud and then that went up point where you're not trying to make your way through the mud you're suddenly having to go up this yeah this wall um so i thought if i can just uh use my strength on the wall and put put out make it so that others are really working and then just keep my composure on the 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 mud and relax and i really have an opportunity to do well here that's how it, it kind of played out. Yeah. It sounds very easy the way you describe it. Just go very hard, harder than anyone else and keep your composure. But yeah, you did just that. Yeah. So well done. Yeah. In hindsight, it's like, wow, that, that was one of those days where you just, you find the flow and you, you nail it. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet one. We, I just spoke with Eric Brunner about the, uh, the perfect amount of racing or rest leading into uh, a big race, like say the world championships. And, you know, he, like you has done the European circuit in years past, uh, this year he found himself a little burnt out after European road racing and, and some, uh, domestic cross racing. So just has taken a, a six week, I don't want to say break, but a six week, uh, break from racing leading into worlds. So, you know, he spoke a bit about how he can prepare intensity wise without racing. What are your thoughts on what, if you were to build the the dream scenario for, you know, a block leading right into worlds of racing versus time at home, what would that be? Would it be like world cup level racing, but sleeping in your own bed there in Portland, or would it be just, uh, uh how you've set it up now where you did some European racing, you skipped these last couple to be at home and you're training on your own. What's the, what's the magic formula, Clara? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a challenge and it's different for everyone. And I think it's especially difficult for North Americans because we aren't sleeping in our own bed, in our own beds when we're racing World Cups. We're, we're over in Belgium and we do our best to the, the make a home there and to make it as comfortable as possible. And it works out pretty well. But at the end of the day, it's still coming back to, to Portland and riding the roads I know and really dialing in some some good training sessions is it feels really good um yeah I'll I'll be honest I was planning on staying through this weekend this past weekend in Europe um 
yeah, and racing through that just to get like one more race in my legs, the the full ready, the the let it rip in uh, Fayetteville. However, I made it halfway through the block, and there there was fatigue from racing and being away, and then there's also just you you know the uncertainty of being that far away with the Netherlands. We were essentially in lockdown again, uh, not knowing what was really going to happen in the United States and how, like what if something happened and we weren't able to get back in there's kind of like the logistical aspect to take into account with that and how it just kind of put a level of stress or thought that wasn't really beneficial to racing and so yeah about halfway through when we were kind of questioning what was going to happen I I made the decision myself like I know I can train myself really well for a race and I've got a community in Portland that can really help uh, with that race practice and so yeah I, I am back here a few weeks and kind of as the Europeans go to Spain I've been going back to Portland and putting in some good training rides in the kind of the cold and rain <laughs> sure sure now let's talk about expectations going forward coming into the yeah, you know, worlds in Fayetteville. There's the relay race, which is an interesting thing, on Friday, and then uh, women's elite on Saturday. Are you going to participate in the relay? Yeah, yeah, it's something that's been really cool that they've introduced in mountain biking, and I feel like cyclocross is kind of the perfect format for it. We have this relatively small lap that we can all kind of come together as a team and just see what happens it, this year. It's just a test event. So there won't be any medals or jerseys given, but I'm really excited to see like how a, kind of the, the atmosphere around it and whether we can bring it to a full level event in the future. Yeah. That seems like a fun way for fans and hopefully for riders too, to, to test the waters and yeah, get a, a hot lap or two in for, for the you know openers for the next day. Yeah, if anything, I feel like, yeah, it's a great opportunity to get a hot, hot lap to really race the course before we race it the next day. Yeah. So, you know, million dollar question, what what do you expect to race day on Saturday to bring? I was just looking at the forecast before we got on here, you know, it's like, you know, it's 20% chance of rain, something like that, but not conferring yet. Of course, it still weighs out. Who knows? But you know, if you had your way, could you do a rain dance and bring rain? Would that be a positive thing yeah i honestly i would i'd say the the harder we can the conditions can be the better it is for me but honestly i i don't start looking at the forecast until like a few days out i just really i don't want the the race to be determined by a forecast that's sure <laughs> that's too much of a crystal ball like, <laughs> like the race is going to be the race itself i think back to Ostenda World Championship just last year and how mm -hmm. again in pre-ride it was it was dry it'd freeze at night and the course would be relatively it'd be pretty fast and solid and hard and then the morning of we we went out and we were like I think we've been pre-riding with grifos let's let's try them and could barely make it half a lap on that so it's really just about when I wake up the morning of and that practice lap being like, okay, this is what I'm prepared for. And then how about your feelings on the start line of a world championship 
versus on the start line of a national championship. It's you know different different caliber of racing, but like you you you're not at worlds. You're not the defending champion there. So do you feel that's more open in terms of? I don't know if open is this the right description of a feeling, um, or does it feel like that's a heavier pressure because it's the worlds and not nationals? I'd say open is act. Yeah, that is a very good term. It's that kind of opportunity to really perform and attain something really big. Um, yeah, nationals did have that pressure on it this year to win it, but worlds is kind of like it's it's not really a pressure and expectation it's a goal it's that like real opportunity the the nail together the a perfect ride and get in that zone and yeah who knows what could happen absolutely that's part of what m- makes it exciting as fans no one knows what exactly will happen we can prognosticate all we want but that's why we run the races to see what happens so best of luck to you there for listeners at home, if you want to watch it live, you can check that out in North America on, or at least in the United States on the GCN app. Uh, if you're in Canada, you can check it out on Flow Bikes. And of course, Vela News will have full coverage there on the ground in Fayetteville. So I will see you there, Clara. But again, wish you the best of luck and thanks for joining the Vela News podcast. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. Okay, folks, that will do it for us this week. We are back next week talking with Andrew Hood, and he has an interview with the Belgian legend Philippe Gilbert, who will be retiring at the end of this season. But for now, I will wish you a good week, and I thank you for listening to the Velo News Podcast. Podcast.